Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe. We are recording on Tuesday, August the 8th, just a shade past 9 a.m. Central Time. Appreciate all you guys listening to the show and everybody who sent in questions and comments, and especially our sponsors who allow us to bring you, excuse me, these podcasts free of charge, no Patreon or any of that stuff. You get it free on your feed. Uh, If you could give us a like and uh, set up a download, all that stuff would be much appreciated. Uh, Hopefully we're giving you entertaining content or at least uh, somewhat entertaining content. That's the goal here. So most weeks I usually kick off the podcast by giving you headlines for what has gone on in University of Iowa athletics. This is historically one of the slower times of year. There's really not much competition, if any, going on. The only thing we have right now are the Iowa men's and women's basketball teams on their foreign trips, and we had some several track athletes participate in uh the pan american i think it was under 20 games uh this past week uh and in portland oregon uh and you can check all that stuff out at hawkeyesports.com so yeah .coms hawkeyesports.com has all of those uh updates from that i think the soccer team may have had some exhibition action this past weekend as well so we're just starting it's just percolating right now where football team is in camp uh, not a lot of info coming out of that, uh, but we do have uh, Iowa Football Media Day this Friday, August the, what is that, the 11th, uh, and then the 12th, uh, this Saturday is Kids Day at Kinnick Stadium, where all of you are invited to come out and watch the Hawkeyes practice for the one and only time until next spring. Uh, there are two open practices every year for Iowa football uh, for the public, one is Kids Day, which is this coming Saturday, as I mentioned, and then again, the last practice of spring ball. So if you'd like to get out and just kind of get an idea of what this team may look like this fall, this Saturday is an excellent opportunity to do that. And in addition to that, the kid captains will come out for the season uh, and meet the team and hang out with the team a little bit, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and then kids get autographs. It's uh it's the really the the you know one of the few times in the year you get to rub elbows and your you know your your children get to rub elbows with Iowa football players so it's a great opportunity and we encourage people to check that out those who've been there know the value and those who haven't would really enjoy it I think if you're a Hawkeye fan so check that out uh and check out hawkeyesports.com again for anything the, the the foreign trips for basketball and I don't take much out of those in terms of you know statistics uh those trips are mostly for uh team chemistry just kind of building getting a chance to spend time together in a really cool place um I think the men's basketball team went to Normandy uh and got a just you know, probably a lot of bucket lists for people going to 
uh, you know, visit that historic place. Um, and the men's basketball team got to experience that. And the women's basketball teams goes is in Italy and Croatia. So really cool opportunity from just a life standpoint more than basketball. So not a lot to talk about here really on the podcast with that. But if you're interested in statistics and how the guys are doing, you can check that out on HawkeyeSports.com. But we're going to jump into your questions because there are a lot of them, and I appreciate that. Uh, It helps a lot during this time of year and lets me know that people are getting amped up for the season, which is great. Um, The first comes from Dan Brockett, and this is from Freakademic on Twitter, Freak ademic on twitter uh he asked me a few last week this one is from august 1st and again good time for the psa here hashtag hf mail that is hf mail hashtag hf mail anytime during the week fire those away at me on uh x form the platform formerly known as twitter which is now x whatever you want to call it send it to me on that with the hashtag hf mail And I will go back to where I left off the previous week with questions and pick up there. And that's what I've done here with Dan. Uh, Coaches aren't allowed to coach players outside of spring practice, fall camp, and the season, right? So how do coaches get super amped up and confident in a player over the course of a summer as they have for Cade and others in the past? What are they seeing? We we hear all the time how the strength coaches see these guys way more than the coaches because of the limits of interaction between players and coaches. So what is it? It can't be based on secondhand reports from lifting weights, right? No, and I think, Dan, it's a good question. And I think the mental image that we have when when you hear that they can't coach out of season is actually on the field coaching them, going through uh, any type of rep or practice situation. They can't do that, but they can watch film. They can watch them lift weights. They can meet with them. Um, you know, they see them in the building. It's they're all in the same space. So I agree with you. I think that some of the praise and compliments can be somewhat hyperbolic at times. Um, but that's kind of where everybody is right at the start of the season. They're up, they're thinking positively, their best case scenario, things like that. Um, and then they also have that, you know, the full January to March, uh, strength and conditioning. And then they're meeting with players at those times and talking about film and, you know, strategy and schematic and all that stuff all through the year. And then they get into spring ball and they get to see them a lot there. And then summer workouts, there's seven on sevens, there's uh, offensive line work. And this is all, again, the coaches cannot um, supervise this or, you know, run these practices, but they can watch, they can watch seven on sevens. They can watch the, the, the guys practice. Uh, on their own, that's not, you know, they just can't give feedback on it directly, I guess. Uh, they can give feedback on it later on, like, hey, I saw you in the seven-on-seven seven doing this. You might want to try that. And that's just kind of the things that they get out of it. But I think it, it's partly that, Dan, and it's partly just wanting to be positive heading into the season, positive that the offensive line is going to be better, positive that Cade McNamara will be an upgrade Over the previous quarterbacks, Um, you know, go down the list that Caleb Brown and um, Seth Anderson are going to upgrade the receiver core. All that stuff is what we think the best case scenario is. The coaches are kind of looking at it through the same, um, I don't want to say prism, microscope, whatever. Uh, They have the same view. So that's kind of where I am on that. I put, I've gotten even more. As I get older and gone through this, I pay less attention to what is said and more what I see, like what I'll see Saturday at Kids Day. And then once the season starts and we actually can see what's going on out there, those are the things I really put stock in. The 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 preseason talk um, is not I, – I just – 
it's it's hard to predict. I, I mean, we could all sit here today and go through, and I did this last week, my game by game predictions. We can all sit here and go through those, um, and we'll all probably have different ideas. And we don't know. Is I guess the easiest way to frame it is we don't know what's going to happen, and that's why they play the games. <laughs> Mr. Cliche here. Uh, Paul Zoss. This is also from August 1st. Uh, these were from my last time that I pot. I so I pot, I, I did a podcast last Tuesday, which was August 1st, and that's what this these questions are for, from. Sometimes people don't know when I'm pod, you know, recording this podcast and they send them in the day that I'm doing it and they come in after. As long as they're not like, um, Time sensitive. I'll go back and grab them like I have with Dan and Paul and uh, RF Zero Dice here. These are all from August 1st. Um, and then there's some from August 3rd, but you get the idea. Anyway, you probably don't care when these questions came to me. You just want me to read them and and give my opinion on them and answers. But Paul Zoss at Judge, Judge Paz on Twitter. Uh, the strategy of defense first with a complement with a complementary below average offense may work in the old Big Ten West, but doesn't mean we have given up. But do, doesn't it mean we have given up on every ever competing for a championship, either Big Ten or national? Aren't the Hawks completely unprepared for a shootout? I always thought that till the pit game. What year was that? Was that 2012? No. What year was it? 2013, right? Was the pit game uh, where they just went crazy with a comeback in that game. I'm bad at remembering details of games and things like that. I always have to research that when I'm writing. I go back to story. Oh, yeah, that's how it went down. But that was uh, that was a big day. I think uh, Vandenberg may have had 299 passing yards in that game, which is a lot when you think about Iowa. Sorry, that was a coffee sip. You didn't lose. You didn't lose me whether you like it or not. But um, I think that's that's the age-old question for Kirk Ferentz football, Paul, is do they – can they rely on their offense, right? If the defense and special teams have a bad day, um, one or the other or both, can the offense – carry the load. And there have been times during Kirk Ferentz's career where certainly you look at an offense and you say they can carry the load. 2009 comes to mind. 2002 comes to mind. Uh, those were really good offense offenses. And there have been others. Uh, those are the two that pop out to me the most. But you're right. They mostly re- they rely uh, of the complementary football, defense and special teams, um, stand out because the offense is conservative and the I think the the foundation of the offense is risk averse don't make mistakes don't put your defense special teams in bad positions um, and you'll win make fewer mistakes than the opponent that's kind of the modus operandi for Kirk Ferentz Iowa offensive football I have hope I have nothing to base this on that they loosen it up a little bit this year. And I think for Kirk, what would be cool for him as a football coach um, would be to let his hair down a little bit. What he, what hair, his gray hair, and he doesn't have long hair, so I don't know how much he's going to be able to let it down. But he's pretty much secured. I mean, he's the winningest coach in Iowa history. He's one of the winningest coaches in Big Ten history. At this stage in your career, maybe change what you've done and open it up a little bit more. If the defense is that good, it should be able to make up for some offensive mistakes. Take some more chances on offense. Don't be afraid to try something different. That's me. That's my approach. His legacy as a football coach, at least on the field, is pretty secure right now. Why not let it all hang out and go for the go for the gold this year? Just I may be formulating a column in my head off of Paul's question, but I agree with you. When when you play offense like that, you cap your ceiling. And we see when, you know, a mistake is made here or there um by the defense. You don't have that capability because the offense is so used to relying on field position and the defense setting it up that it doesn't often 
pave its own way, so to speak. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I It's going to be hard to win a Big Ten title moving forward uh, anyway, and the national championship doesn't seem really realistic. But if you want to reach your potential, and I'm guessing the fans, the media, and Kirk Ferentz have different views of this, what the potential would be, or the route to reaching that potential, I think most fans and media would say, you know, let Cade McNamara cook. Let these guys open it up a little bit, show other, you know, opponents' defenses, looks, and play calls that they haven't seen before. You don't need to revamp everything, but run out of spread more. Things like that. Just be a little bit more open-minded to change. But I'm with you. Um, I think the strategy is somewhat antiquated, and it caps uh, it caps how uh, your ceiling really. I, I don't know. I think you know being safe. It's hard to reach your ceiling when you're being safe. I guess I would put it that way. But appreciate the question, Paul. We move on to RF at zero underscore dice. If conferences do get to twenty. Could the week before a championship game be a regular season semifinal with other teams playing similarly, similarly matched teams one through f- one verse four, two verse three for the final five verse six, seven verse eight as their regular season. Fa- they could do that. I think logistically though, um, like travel plan wise, that's hard to do. Um, I mean, if you had a central location, like if you went to Lucas Oil Stadium and did like a Friday, yeah, it'd be tough. You got 20 teams, so you're looking at 10 games. Uh, how many of those can you play in a day? Three, maybe, um, depending. Um, so how many can you get in? But that's how you would have to do it. You would have to have like the Big Ten tournament in basketball. You would have to have it at a single location. Like you couldn't have just, okay, it's the last game of the season and we've got, you know, Rutgers against UCLA. And that's tough to put together, right? And um I I I get your point and I think it would be a cool idea, Zero. I'm just not you yeah, from a logistical standpoint, from a travel standpoint, I think it's going to be difficult to pull off unless you were able to do maybe a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, you know, put your top games on Saturday, maybe put a top game on Friday night, and then however you want to do it TV-wise, let TV decide who they want where, uh, and do three days, have maybe four games the first day, and then three and three, something like that would be possible. But I think you'd have to have it at a location that's already been uh, picked out, and then you've got to, you know, you've got 20 fan bases potentially coming to one city, I don't know. I mean, I it I w- I wouldn't say it's um impossible, but I think logistically it would be difficult. But interesting idea. Thanks for checking in. Appreciate you guys uh that checked in after I uh finished recording last week and uh glad I was able to get back and get to your questions. Jesse Lucier on Twitter. Uh Jesse Lu- underscore Lucier underscore. Have we found out why the state of Iowa investigated athletes in the first place it's strange that no other state has besides iowa and back to iowa it's strange only ui and isu athletes have been involved thanks yeah it does seem somewhat targeted jesse for lack of a better term that i don't know how to, to answer your question um straight out i i there i don't think anybody said why that these guys were uh, these guys were chosen to be investigated. Um, and I think there are other, I, I, I uh, may have some other questions in here as well um, in terms of uh, why Iowa and Iowa state and not, you know, Drake, UNI, uh, other colleges in the state. Um, I think it's, I think part of this, I, I, I think you're being naive if you don't think part of this is, based on um, the gaming commissions and the authorities 
wanting to make an example of Iowa and Iowa State uh, and alert, you know, other states that have legalized gambling and athletes in those states to, oh, shit, um, I got to stop doing this, man. I'm going to get caught and not be able to play. Um, I don't know why it was Iowa and Iowa State. Speculating, and take this for what it's worth, because it's complete speculation, they had to have had some idea that this was a case they could make an example of these athletes. And again, I feel bad for them in terms of losing eligibility in athletics and sports that they've worked their whole lives to get to this level. And it's a very small percentage of the population that are able to make it this far and be high level power five. I don't know if that term is going to exist anymore now, but the top level of college athletes. So that's like super rare. So I feel bad in that sense. But on the other hand, they knew the rules and were told about them multiple times, constantly almost is what they uh, gambling is just one of those taboo activities when you're involved in athletics, because outcomes can be compromised and adjusted and fixed is the word that people, Oh, the game was fixed. That's not good. And we don't have an indication of that. But we do have an indication that multiple athletes from Iowa and Iowa State, I mean, both schools combined, um, bet on their sport. And that's a no-no, man. That is like, even if you're not playing, even if you're a backup in that game, you can't do that. And that's, I think any of us that have followed college athletics know you cannot do that. And any, and so you, sh- if you're involved in the college athletics, you should know you can't do that. We know what the speed limit is. We go over the speed limit. And if we get caught and get a speeding ticket, that's not the police's fault. That's not the authority's fault. That's our fault. And that's what the situation is here. Um, Now I feel bad. Again, it sucks that, that they're making example out of Iowa. um, But there's so much money involved in gambling across the country with more States legalizing sports, gambling, sports betting, They've got to get a handle on this early. It almost seems like inevitable that there's going to be some type of case where that's a lot bigger than what we're seeing here, where games are fixed and outcomes are altered by athletes being compensated for doing so. Um, and, And maybe that does. I hope I never see that, but it just seems like it's, with the amount of athletes and the the ease with which they can gamble and bet while they're in college, it's just I think it's ripe for issues like that. So um, I don't have an answer for you, Jesse, as to why um, Iowa and Iowa State were chosen, um, but obviously there was a lot there. We see how many were involved and we see the seriousness of some of them, the, you know, the seven that have been released so far. So um, that's kind of my answer to that. Uh, Zero dice is back says he didn't use the hashtag on the, um, this is, uh, I'll get back to that one. Actually, you know what? This is a good time for a read here. Um, If you guys are Hawkeye fans, and I'm guessing most of you are because you're listening to this podcast, you have to check out Randy Engel's awesome artwork at underthekitchen.square.site. That is underthekitchen.square.site. You can find pieces on some of your favorite Hawkeye athletes there, past and present. Tim Dwight, Spencer Lee, Keegan, and Chris Murray, they're all available And they're all reasonably priced and come with certificates of authenticity. Check out Randy's artwork at underthekitchen.square.site and and get some awesome. I checked it out this morning. Really nice stuff. If if you have a Hawkeye room in your house or something like that, these pieces would be great additions. So check that out. And we appreciate 
Randy being a sponsor. And Randy's got a question for us too later in the podcast. But the reason I read his now is that Zero Dice asked on August 3rd, in light of your new sponsor, how much would you, how much would custom artwork of Brian Ferentz, COA included, be worth? Probably less than, maybe more than Greg Davis, maybe probably less than Ken O'Keefe. But I'm thinking that none of those pieces would sell very well. Um, And that's not any reflection on those people, but more the position they've held at the University of Iowa in the football program, and that is offensive coordinator. And we talked about this earlier with an earlier question um, from Paul about, you know, the approach of complementary football and the role of offense in that philosophy. And as a result, who is ever coaching the offense is going to get the most shit. And we've seen that now for 25 years. So it's not a small sample size. Um, So to answer your question, I do not think Randy should um, paint. I, I guess these are paint, draw, paint, produce a piece on Brian Ferentz or Ken O'Keefe or Greg Davis for that matter. I, I don't think that would be well-received, but I know that was somewhat tongue-in-cheek zero, and I appreciate that. Uh, let's take a break here. I still have a lot, quite a few questions to get through here, but I uh, want to take a break here and hear from some more of our sponsors, and we'll be back on the other side with some more of your questions. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Thank you to our sponsors that you just heard. And also for Randy Engel, the read I did before we went to break. Also want to let, also want to thank Systems Unlimited for their support of the podcast. Systems Unlimited is celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of the services for System Un, Systems Unlimited. And upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for their support and the great work they've been doing here for over half a century. So good stuff there. Thanks again to all of our sponsors. Let's jump back into your questions. As I said, there are quite a few here. I want to be able to get to everyone. Um, If you didn't use the hashtag this week, I may not get to you because by the time I get through this grouping uh, that did use the hashtag. I'm probably going to be at the max time I would like this podcast to be. So I apologize if that's the case and fire your question back at me for next week with the hashtag if I miss you this week. Um, California Hawkeye at Freen on Twitter has a couple, or these may be related. Um, These are from August 5th. With only four Pac-12 teams left, what happens to them and what happens with the Rose Bowl? Good question. And I would say the four Pac-12 teams cannot have a conference. So your guess is as good as mine here. I would hope that um, sanity prevails here. And the reports we heard yesterday of the potential of Stanford and Cal going to the ACC does not happen. Um, It's bad enough that the Big Ten has added four West Coast schools and the travel 
for those athletes, not just football. I think people get wrapped up in football for the other sports. The travel is just going to be insane for these student athletes. Um, you know, they do have to go to college because they are in college. You may have heard. So it's a money grab. This is all about money. And, you know, I, I think as the, as these conferences make more and more money, the NIL is going to benefit from that because student athletes are going to want more money. I mean, especially when they're traveling and they're putting this much, much more into this. And it's not like going to like, you know, taking a trip to, uh, you know, the shore, the beach in the summer and getting to hang out. These are not, you know, luxury or um, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for more here? Um, Trips where you're with your family or just on vacation. These are work trips. So it's not like, oh, somebody gets to go to, you know, Eugene, Oregon or Seattle, Washington. They don't like a basketball team flies in. They practice the day before the game. They practice, you know, have a shoot around the day of the game. They play that night and then they fly out. They're not hanging out in Seattle, you know, going to the grunge museum or something like that. It's actual work. So if you're like Rutgers or Maryland going 3000 miles away, you know, for a game or two out on the West coast, that's a lot to ask. So I went off on a tangent there and apologize for that California Hawkeye. I don't know what happens to them, but hopefully I think the mountain West makes the most sense for the remaining pack 12 teams. Just join the mountain West. Just see if you can build the conference there and what level you'll be at. It's obviously not going to be Pac-12 level, uh, but you've got, you know, four quote-unquote power five level teams. Stanford's one of the most successful athletic departments in the country. They win that, what I forget what the cup is called, but the standings, they keep standings through all the sports and Stanford um, um, is always right there, if not winning it. So that's attractive to a degree, but this is all about football and making money. I think eventually, Dean, the football programs just go off and do their own thing and then let the other sports have their conference, more traditional geographically uh, determined conferences. And I think that's the smart way to go about this because I just think football is – um it's obviously makes the most money and it should call the shots for its sport. Um, but when you start making it just log- a logistical nightmare for other sports, I think that's something that needs to be examined by the people that are in charge, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Dean also asked with 18 big 10 teams, there won't be enough big 10 bowls for everyone. Does Iowa become a normal Six and six tote team. I could see Iowa finishing eighth to 12th in the new Big Ten. I'm not liking this at all. Yeah, I think I would, I would caution you, California Hawkeye, to not worry too much about that. And I know that's the natural, uh, direction for people's minds to go in is to look at their school and say, where do we fit in the hierarchy of this new conference? Um, you know, with Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Penn State, um, you know, and go down the list. Those are probably your blue bloods, right? USC, yeah. So, and then after that, where does Iowa fit in with um, Oregon and UCLA and Wisconsin and Michigan State, and uh, you can go down the list. I, I think it's too hard to say right now where Iowa fits into that group. 8 to 12, I mean, that's, I don't know. I think you might be a little bit low there, but that's probably fair based on, you know, past results. Uh, but it's hard to know, too, what how are the schedules going to be set up? You know, TV plays such a big role in this. Does Iowa have a softer schedule on paper than some of the programs that have been traditionally stronger than it we'll see but i would i know that's again the natural inclination is to try to predict how i was going to do on the new landscape with 18 teams but i think we got to let it see we have to see it play out and 
the most interesting thing for me is going to be now that they go back to the drawing board for next year's 2024 schedule after they just went through all it was seemed like a year it may have been a year them trying to figure out how to put this together with USC and UCLA coming in I think you know with with Cal and Washington or no Cal and Washington and, and Oregon coming in now how do you adjust that schedule and how does that impact Iowa I think that's going to play a big role in it but it's a fair thing to wonder about Dean and I'm not saying your prediction and is inaccurate. I just, I'm not sure. I just don't know enough yet. I don't have enough information to really have a good feel of how Iowa fits into the the big picture when it comes to 18, an 18 team Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering where this guy has been, uh, and this is from August sixth. Um, the <laughs> the. Twitter, uh, the X or Twitter handle is it's over 2024 aliens take our moon at sensible sneezes. Anybody who's listened to this podcast through uh, however long I've been doing it for four years, 2019, did I start this? Maybe it was earlier than that. I can't remember. Anyway, around that spot, um, Dean Freen or not Dean Freen. Um, uh I know I'm drawing a blank on uh, the the original name. I'm going to read the question and it'll come back to me. How do you feel about the approaching year 2024? The year seems to seems like a super being that we have no chance against. In the spirit of TV executives, I quote a despot. The despot. There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. That's fair enough. So. Um, why can I not remember your original name? I feel bad about this now. I wish you wouldn't have, uh, of, uh, changed. My memory's been awful lately. I've been trying to do the, the immaculate grids, uh, for the different sports. And, um, I get, I get like brain cramps on those things, things I knew my whole life, pouring over box scores and newspapers when I was little. Uh, I remembered all that stuff, but I can't now. I can't remember your name. But anyway, interesting question. And like I've said to folks that listen to the podcast before, I usually just read those and don't have an answer um, and just kind of let them uh, marinate in your mind. And you can, guys can come up with your own answers. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, Drake Timbers, that's it. I knew I would remember it if I pounced it around in my head. It's Drake Timbers. That's who that was that answer, answered that asked that question. And that, his name... I don't know what the, his real name is, but he's known on this podcast as Drake Timbers. And uh, he's got a Hayden Fry, uh, classic Hayden Fry um, avatar on, on Twitter as well. So uh, we move on. 44M less at 44M less. And this is from August 6th, a regular contributor to the podcast. How surprised were you when you heard about Tristan Wirfs talking about the challenge of transitioning from right tackle to left tackle. I give the young man a lot of credit for willing to talk about it. And I think he will do well at left tackle too. Thoughts. Yeah. I've see, I, for most of us, we don't have firsthand experience with what this would be like. So even, or even something that relates to it. So we don't, we, we're basing it on kind of what we think and what we hear from these guys, and I've talked to guys about this through the past. And if you remember, Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs were supposed to play opposite. Wirfs was supposed to be the left tackle, and um, Alaric would be the right tackle. Well, they went through a spring or you know summer camp or whatever, and Jackson just did not feel comfortable at right tackle. He just felt more comfortable at left tackle. So then they flip-flopped him, and Worfs ended up playing right tackle. Um, so that's that situation. And, you know, that kind of illustrates the difference in playing the two, whereas, you know, us novices that haven't played at this level or close to it, think, huh, it's tackle. How hard can it be? You, you get reps on one side, you get reps on the other side, and the way you go. Some guys are capable of doing that. Some guys are capable of playing guard and tackle. 
Some guys can play center and guard. Some guys can play all three. That's rare, but it can happen. And that versatility is great. And Iowa usually has pretty versatile offensive linemen. I, I applaud Tristan for talking about, you know, the mental part of it and seeking uh, therapy in terms of trying to handle it that way and not getting caught up in his head and just going out and doing it and focusing on what needs to be done to be successful in making that switch. Um, I believe it was Tristan that <laughs> told us <laughs> it's like if your your dominant hand is what you wipe with <laughs> and then you try to wipe with the other hand, it's a lot more difficult. That was Tristan's explanation of it. And um, we all laughed, but it also made sense. You know, it's you could probably like if you're right handed, you could probably learn over time to wipe with the other hand, but it may not feel as comfortable ever. So that's kind of that's there's an analogy for you. It's a little disgusting, but it makes the point. Uh, 44 less, 44 M less again, in order for Iowa to win the West and play in the Big Ten championship game, what should the run game look like by the end of the season? I'm assuming they need to average four yards per carry, but what about the backs and how many rushes should they have per game? I did my uh, position previews on another site that I work for this week um, and poured over this a little bit at each, at each position. And when I was at running back, I was just kind of looking at the, the breakdown. It's really hard to play three running backs a significant amount of time. Um, it's just hard for any of them to get into a rhythm. I mean, I'm sure there are situations where they complement each other well enough, three different guys that you can uh, use them all. And I think there's a chance of that with Iowa's top three being Caleb Johnson, uh, LaShawn Williams, and Jazium Patterson. And Jazz is a little different. He's kind of a combination of the other two. Um, LaShawn is more of a kind of a bowling ball, so to speak, for lack of a better term, just in some, more of an inside runner. Um, and I think Caleb is that too. Um, but I think Caleb can get to the outside pretty well. I think LaShawn's a decent pass receiver, as is Jazz. So I think there are some complementary skill sets there. But again, there are only so many reps in a game and getting them in. I don't, in my mind, Les, have a number uh, in terms of who should get what. I think it's a feel. I think Caleb Johnson is the unquestioned starter. And then after that, maybe you see game flow and decide Williams and Patterson, which way you go there, who gets more game situations, things like that. Um but yeah, they have to average more per carry and it needs to be more consistent. For me, more than um, raw numbers and statistics, it's more consistently not having negative runs, not, you know, on first and 10, getting thrown for two or three yard loss, putting yourself behind the chains and then having to deal with that for the rest of the series. Those things can happen once in a while. They just cannot happen consistently. You have to just consistently gain. But again, and you know this, Les, it's going to come down to the off offensive line as well. I think these three running backs are all very talented with capability of being starting running backs in this conference. But without a consistent offensive line opening holes for them, it's not going to work. So it's the combination of those two things. But a successful running game to me is one that can consistently gain yards, especially when you need the most, and then be able to set up play action off that. If you're first and 10 and you lose five, the play action goes out the window. You're not going to sucker a defense into play action on second and 15. They know you're going to throw and you can, in your mind, think about the difficulty in making that a successful play, how hard that is. So that's all part of it as well. Uh, this one's from 14 hours ago. So now we've caught up to regular time here. And this is from at AP Hawk at Andy Paul Rules One on Twitter. Good to hear from Andy. He's been a contributor to the podcast in the past. Good to have him back. Um, 
Hey, Rob, I know they said no more divisions, but continued expansion. Do you think we could see three divisions in the Big Ten, the Big Ten East, Big Ten Central, and Big Ten West? I've seen a lot of folks have fun playing with this, AP, Andy, um, but I'm not sure how it works. Uh, if you're at 18, obviously you go 666, uh, eh, the devil, it's the devil number, 666. But anyway, um, so you could break that up as it is now. You've got four teams on the West Coast. Who are the unfortunate teams that go in with them? Is it the two nearest? I would, I would, um, submit that Minnesota might be the best move there. It's the biggest metropolitan area, the most flights, probably the most logistically easy to be in that division. And then after that, is it Nebraska? Is it Iowa? Is it Wisconsin? Um, Can you even edge a little further east and say like Illinois or Northwestern? Maybe put Northwestern and Minnesota in with USC, UCLA, Washington and Oregon. Northwestern's coming out of Chicago. Minnesota's coming out of Minneapolis. Big metropolitan areas that can better. And I know there are charter flights and that makes it easier, but you're still going into busy airports. I think if you, and I could be totally whack on this. So if somebody's rolling their eyes, that's fine. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here because I don't have answers to any of this shit. Um, but something like that might be able to work, Andy. Um, it'll be interesting. Like I said in an earlier question, I think from California Hawkeye is I'm not ready to um, figure out how where Iowa or try to estimate where Iowa sits in the new hierarchy, the new 18-team Big Ten hierarchy. Uh, And I also, I want to see how they come up with scheduling here, because I think that's the most important beyond divisions. Uh, Because if you have three divisions, who plays in the championship game? I know there are tiebreakers and ways to approach and handle that, but it's different. It's 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 wonky. I think if you have a division winner that doesn't play in this, maybe you have a four-team playoff. Um, you know the three division winners, and then the best team after that, and do like a do like like I said earlier, like a Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, yeah, but see, then if you did a semifinals, then you'd have to wait a week and do the finals. That makes it difficult too. I don't really don't know what they're going to do here, and I'm just kind of in a wait-and-see approach. I just hope, for me, the most, as I've watched this go through since I started covering the Big Ten in 97, as I've watched the evolution of this, to me, the thing that's always been most important, if you're trying to pick a conference champion, and I don't know how important that is to leagues anymore, especially with the expanded playoff and the talk of an expanded um, big dance, you know, NCAA tournament, it's really about getting your best teams into that, right? So however that works out. But if you are concerned about the conference championship game, having the most equitable, even schedule as best you can, like TV-wise, they're, they're going to want to have USC play Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State every year. Those are colossal TV games if they could put, but that's not fair to USC and it may not be fair to Ohio state and Michigan balancing the schedule. The best you can is the main idea here beyond divisions or any of that stuff, trying to make the schedule as equitable as possible, but by while also pleasing your TV partners, that's hard. And that's going to be to me, the biggest challenge here divisions, maybe, Andy, we'll see what happens. Not a bad idea. Um, I just would want to see how you get from two division win- or three division winners to two teams playing in a championship game. Uh, another one from Andy here is short of Iowa averaging 40 plus points a game and 600 yards of offense per game. Do you think Iowa fans have just had it with Brian Fen- Ferentz no matter what? I, it's a great question. And you guys could obviously answer this better than me. His approval rating is below what Ken O'Keefe's was, I think, from what I can remember. And and Ken O'Keefe was not well-liked. I mean, there wasn't a parade 
when he left after the 2011 season, but there could have been because people were dancing in the streets <laughs> when Ken O'Keefe left. And then they got 2012 Greg Davis. Uh, and Greg Davis kind of saved himself a little bit with 2015, um, but still had a really negative approval rating. And Brian's has that. Brian has the the dynamic of being the head coach's son too, which feeds into it. So, and I'm not saying that's unfair in terms of where we're at now. Would Brian Ferentz have a job if his dad wasn't the head coach? I'll leave that with you guys to decide, but it is that dynamic is not something, Oh, it's just the coach. Who cares if it's, it, 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 it obviously seems like it matters right now based on performance and, uh, still having a job anyway. Um, to answer your question, Andy, my podcast partner on Thursdays on the Hotspot podcast, Scott Dockner from The Athletic, says the ship has sailed, that Brian will never be able to save his reputation with the Iowa fan base and will always be somebody uh, who is not well-liked. I don't know that. I don't know. what If they win the national championship this year, is is does that help him? I would hope so. I don't think that's going to happen, but if it did, um, I think if if Iowa averaged 40 points a game and 600 yards of offense, they may win a national championship, and they probably would win a national championship, and I think Brian Ferentz would be in the good graces of a lot of the Hawkeye fans that kind of go with the way the wind blows, and I'm not disparaging you folks. Um, it's part of fandom, I think. Sometimes we take this shit too seriously and get wrapped up in it. Fans are fickle. It's just the way they are. We're all that way. Um, I've become more fickle with my teams through the years um, and care less, I think. But fans' minds often can be changed, I would say quickly or easily, but they can be changed. And I think the degree of difficulty for Brian Ferentz to change minds is a lot more than it would be for, for other people in other, uh, certainly on the Iowa team, but other comparable situations or uh, peers, I would say his peers, uh, other offense coordinators, things like that. Um, I think it's become pretty ingrained now, uh, with what we went through last year. And now on top of that, Andy, you're putting in the markers for this season, the 25 points a game. That's just going to magnify it even more. So I don't know. I think it's a it's an unfortunate situation, but it's where we're at. Here he is. Here's Randy underscore Ingle, and that's under the kitchen on Twitter. Um, again, check out Randy's artwork. See if I can pull up his website again. It is underthekitchen.square.site, and that is S-I-T-E. Check that out for the artwork. Great stuff over there. Um, And Randy asks, do you think in other states, schools are pushing to make sure their athletes' gambling doesn't get publicized so they can keep playing? Iowa can't be the only state that that happened. Yeah, this leads back to uh, the earlier question. I forget who asked it, and I apologize. who did ask that question? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Iowa and Iowa State student athletes are being used as an example of what not to do. And if other athletes at other schools are paying attention, they won't do what the Iowa athletes do did. However, and I've talked about this before, the, it, the the temptation is there so often because I think we I think we look at it like and and granted the athletes are around each other a ton, but they have other friends and family and those people gamble a lot of them do, and they do it with ease on the phone on the app, and that's the thing if you have temptation and ease to satisfy that temptation that's dangerous and i think that's what we're seeing here randy is these guys that did this didn't think they would be caught and it was easy to do 
it's a lot harder to call, you know, your bookie, um, you know, and this is an app on your phone. It's like pulling up Twitter or whatever. It takes two seconds to put some money down. And no, Iowa athletes aren't Iowa be meaning I, the student athletes in the state of Iowa are not the only ones gambling um, that play college athletics. We, it, you're, you'd be incredibly naive to think that were the case. Um, and who knows? Maybe there will be other investigations opened in other states. I think, I don't think this situation would preclude um, somebody in where else is sports gambling legal? Is it New Jersey? I think New Jersey, if it isn't, whatever. Um, another state, if they if they get a tip that there's student athletes betting on their own sports, I don't care what state it is, they're gonna they're gonna go after them because that is you're compromising the integrity of that betting app. There's a chance that, you know, you have inside information. There's a chance that if you're betting on your school, there's a chance that you can influence the outcome of the game if you're betting on your own team. So if that stuff's happening, I don't think, I I certainly think it can help to curtail some of it. But I don't think this is the last that we've heard of this. I really don't. I think I think we'll hear about more of gambling investigations and more cases where student athletes are suspended for gambling on sports. It may not be their team. It may not be their school. But it, it, it would be a violation of even the newer rules now if you're gambling on sports that you play or sports that are available at your university. So... Good question, Randy. Um, I know, again, I know it's frustrating for folks in Iowa to see this happen to their student-athletes and not student-athletes elsewhere where you're pretty sure that something else is going on somewhere else. Um, they knew the rules, again, and they violated them, and they know that it, those violations were punishable. So I feel bad for them in a way, but I also, you know, if I'm – blasting down I-80, 90 miles an hour and get a speeding ticket. It's not the officer's fault. That's my fault. Clint, Clint Harms at Until Game on Twitter. With all the burdens like travel put on athletes nowadays, would it be crazy not to require them to take classes during their athletic careers or at the very least not a full load? After it's over, give them five years of free education if they desire to finish. I see... What you did there, Clint, I'm just not I'm not on board with that. I mean, maybe a lighter class load and giving them an extra year or two. Um, but you know, they're in the you know, pushing them into their mid-20s before they graduate college and go into the workforce, because most of these student athletes do not play professionally to the point where they get paid for a living to play the sport. So most others are going into the workforce. And I think that's just a lot to put on and ask of these guys that, okay, you pay, you play five years and then you get five years. You'll be 28 when you graduate. That's, and that's the, that's the, obviously the extreme case. If somebody's taking class, you know, a, lo- a, lo- a lighter class load and maybe can graduate two years after, you know, and spend seven years. And there are guys and gals that do that now and stay in and, um, you know, whether it be a red shirt or injury or whatever, the COVID ha- has allowed student athletes. I think when you get down this road, Clint, you're talking about making it a, a minor league sport for the NFL when you're talking about football. Because if you're not going to class while you're on campus with the students, I mean, I think that just changes the complete idea of college athletics. Um, And maybe we're headed down that road with the money involved and, uh, you know, how much these universities and conferences are trying to leverage their power right now to make as much money as they can from TV. I question whether or not this gravy train is going to roll much longer after these current uh, media rights deals. We see 
companies like ESPN firing people left and right, but then doling out money for media rights deals. I don't know how this or where this ends, but it's got to end at some point. Appreciate that question, Clint. I, I'm not, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm shooting down your idea because I, I, everything's on the table with the landscape of college athletics. Now I personally just don't like that idea. I think if you're a student athlete and you're out of college, you need to go to class and you need to be part of the, that, that community. Um, these student athletes make friends. They, they make relationships going to classes when they, you know, they're, they first get out of high school. It's their first time living, you know, and then you're going to isolate them just in a football building let them live and grow from that stage of their life. That's just me personally with an, who's with somebody who has an 18 year old uh, and a 16 year old Um, few more here. And then we got to get out. Uh, Would the big 10 ever take any teams in the former pac 12? Yeah, they have, they took four. Uh, You mean teams that are left? Uh, This is from E at NBA scorer. NBA under fan, underscore fan underscore 2014. Um, you mean, I, I'm assuming you mean Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State. Um, I think Stanford and Cal would have a chance. I don't think the Big Ten has any interest in Washington State or Oregon State. Um, but I don't know. I don't, do you want to, I mean, it would make it easier if you added those two for the West Coast teams, especially non revenue sports. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm so shook by everything that's happened with conference realignment that I I don't, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. I think the big 10 would like to get to 20, no matter what it says. And I think if it could add like a Notre Dame and Kansas or a Notre Dame and I don't know, pick Notre Dame and somebody else, um, they would do that. Will Notre Dame cave in this situation with what it sees going on around it? Will it think that it can stay independent? It might. It might think that, you know what, these media rights deals that these conferences are getting, like like I said earlier, that the gravy train is going to end. Maybe Notre Dame says our gravy train is pretty steady. We're just going to stay on this train. We'll see. Um, sensible sneezes, also known as Drake Timbers. Now that the banks fund college football, will colossal debt crush smaller athletic departments like Iowa State as they struggle to keep up with the power to, if money runs it, no reason for small footprint state like Iowa to have two power football teams. Yeah, that's that's definitely a fair point. This is certainly a situation, as Drake mentions, that where there's cannibalization and um, these would these movements, these realignments, end up being worse for the sport and um, reducing the amount of competitors there are in the field. Um, you could just like. Like Drake said, wipe out Iowa State, wipe out Oregon State, which is kind of happening now. Um, you know, other, you know, you wouldn't think Michigan State by any, uh, but that would be an extreme example of, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. But there are other, you know, does Northwestern survive this? Northwestern's a lot like Stanford. Other than the history in the Big Ten, I mean, does that hurt Northwestern? It's a good question. But yeah, I have I have worries, I have concerns about where this goes, Drake. Um, and I'll just kind of see how it happens. I'm 56, so I probably won't see the end of this anyway. But uh, I was talking with Scott Document about this on the hotspot last week. Just because these are, this is the realignment now doesn't mean that this is where things stay. Uh, greedy money people will find ways to and think of ways to mess with. Um, things mess with mess with the landscape to make it so um, they can make money, whatever that is. So I think this is a, a 
money grab, greed, this conference realignment, and um, hopefully it works out great. Hopefully this is the beginning of a bright future. But I have my my concerns, and we'll see what happens. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go where they tell me, guys. I'm gonna go to the um, stadiums and arenas where to cover the sports. As long as they let me do it, I'll continue to do that and show up wherever uh, wherever I'm needed. Um, I think there were some other questions on here. Um, uh, I know Emily had a question. Emily, you used the hashtag and it still didn't come up for me. That's weird. Your um, Emily Hawk ninety nine on Twitter asks: A few years ago, KF said he'd never play a regular season games on the West Coast ever again. With the recent conference alignment, do you think this speeds up his retirement plans? It could, Emily, and it's not a thought that hadn't crossed my mind before. Um, I don't know how – again, yes. I would say yes to your question, um, but I also want to see how they handle this, again, with the scheduling and how much travel to the West Coast there be will be. I think if I was playing one game on the West Coast – Every other year, I don't think it's as big of a deal. And I think he probably adjusts to that. He is just, he's adjusted to NIL and transfer portal and, you know, the other changes in college football. So I think he'd be open to this. I think when he spoke about not playing regular season games out West again or Arizona, I think it was when he had control of that. <laughs> He, he no longer has control of that or a lot of other things that he used to have control of. And he either deals with those things and adjusts or like um, Jay Wright at Villanova, he walks away. And Jay Wright's a lot younger than Kirk and he saw the writing on the wall, didn't feel like it was something he could continue to do in the new landscape. So that is that. But yeah, it possibly, um, especially as the years tick by, Emily, it could be the situation where he just doesn't want to, he doesn't like how this all shakes out schedule wise and decides, you know, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life. But I think he still enjoys what he does now. And uh, I don't see any retirement anywhere in the, you know, the near future, at least not the vibes we're getting from him when he's asked about it. All right. All right, guys, this thing went for almost an hour. This was a very, very, it went over an hour, I think. This was a very long podcast today, and that's because you guys were great in sending in your questions, and I really appreciate it. Um, I know that's something that's thrown out there often, but I really do sincerely appreciate your participation in this podcast. I sincerely appreciate the the um, sponsors to the podcast and uh, everybody for listening. So, Thank you for that, and um, have a great rest of your week. Again, hashtag is HFMail. Send me questions anytime between the time I publish this and the time I record the next, and we'll get you on there. Until then, peace.